Okay, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start a new series tonight, A Vision for the Fullness of God. That's the title, A Vision for the Fullness of God. And we're going to come out of this passage in Ephesians 3, this apostolic prayer, which we've spent lots of time on um, over the past 10 years. We pray this at least weekly, if not daily, in the house of prayer. Someone's praying it sometime. And um, I just had a fresh approach to this chapter in the last month and have found the, uh, the word to be rich. Amen. You know, the word of God, it's eternal. It just continues to speak that living word. I, I'm always impressed with how the Lord continues to teach me out of the same passages. And it'll look so much clearer and, and the, the revelation will be much deeper. And I just imagine those days when we're actually with the Lord face to face and he's teaching us himself and he's opening the Bible to us. He's saying, hey, let's look over here to Ephesians 3. This phrase, the riches of his glory, let me unpack that for you for a few thousand years. You know, the riches of his glory. That one's gonna, that's going to take us a while to get the understanding to, on. And he's going to take us phrase by phrase through truths in the scripture that are going to blow our mind. So it shouldn't be surprising to me that on this side, you know, we get a few more steps of revelation, a few more drops, and we go, wow. It shouldn't be surprising, but that's how it is. This living word, it's true. It's living. It's active. And uh, the spirit of revelation is moving inside of us, teaching us all things. We have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. We have an anointing teaching us. That's, that's the common place for uh, believers in the New Testament. Okay, let me quit babbling, and let's read this uh, awesome apostolic prayer. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul, praying, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, that the Father would grant you, According to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Those phrases are just exceptional. The love of God which passes knowledge, filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according... To the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we are going to um, take a few weeks and we're going to talk about this issue of fullness. That's the word we are going to drill down on because it's It's evident that in this passage and in others in the New Testament, this is what Paul 
is, is shooting for as it relates to his ministry to the church. He wants to bring people to fullness. He wants to bring them to this place of being filled with the fullness of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a few weeks, several weeks, and we're going to begin to unpack what it is that Paul is after. And I'm going to teach a little bit, so I'll encourage you to take notes, to pay attention, and we'll ask Holy Spirit just right now, just bring this room under your authority, Holy Spirit, and just teach, teach our hearts, and help me as I'm saying stuff, that you'd say it even better to hearts, that they'd hear it even better than I can say it. Thank you, Lord. So I want to encourage you just to engage with this. And then also I want to encourage you in the next, in the coming weeks, just take these passages on your own in your private time. Take them in your devotional time and just pray them. And just meditate on them and have the Lord just begin to speak to your own heart about it. Let's all get on the flow of this. Because what we're going to find is that this idea of fullness, it is, now hear me clearly, the idea of fullness It is the vision of God for believers. Fullness is God's vision for you on an individual basis. That we individually would be filled with the fullness of God. That's what he's shooting for. And so I want to uh, even encourage you, as you're thinking about who you are, what you're called to be in Christ that you would add this concept to your vision. Whatever it is you're pressing for, let the fullness of God be in the mix. In fact, let it, be, let it be senior in the mix of what it is you're after in your relationship with the Lord. Filled with the fullness. It's that critical. This concept, is, it should take that much precedence. And so we find when we read the New Testament that this subject, it actually shows up throughout the epistles, throughout the letters. Paul teaches this subject continuously. He calls it by a variety of names, but ultimately it's about believers coming to full maturity and completeness in Christ. Now, Here's the deal. Right on the front end, I just got to say this to you. As soon as I say maturity, half of us go, uh uh-uh, boring, darn. It sounded cool for a minute. Fullness sounded interesting. But maturity, you know, I want to be childlike in my faith. I'm not trying to be whatever, you know, hoity-toity. Here's the thing. Maturity doesn't equal... Boring. Unfortunately, most of us had an experience somewhere along the time, you're about 12 or 13, and they said to you sometime when you were having fun, you need to be more mature. And from that moment on, maturity took on this kind of like, uh, uh, steal your fun kind of feeling. Biblical maturity isn't boring, it isn't killing your joy, it isn't stealing your fun. 
It's not putting you in handcuffs or shackles or locking you down. Biblical maturity causes your heart to be more free, more alive, more liberated, more filled with joy, more filled with the Spirit, more flowing in righteousness, and more flowing with the Spirit of God and experiencing the love of God at a greater depth. Biblical maturity is a really good thing. So let's think, let's just redo that one in our mind so we don't have like a funk on the word maturity. And we think about maturity as something that is rich, that's life-giving, that's positive and not sort of a bummer. So here's what you'll find. When you read through the New Testament, you'll find Paul, um, he's pushing toward this idea of maturity. He uses different terms. In other words, when he's instructing the church, he's instructing them, calling them to completeness, calling them to perfection, calling them to transformation, calling them to maturity. All of those terms are talking about the same idea. And it's the one that he uses here in Ephesians 3, fullness. So when you're reading through the New Testament, when you see the concept of, you know, growing up, like in Ephesians 4, it says we would grow up to a perfect man in the unity of the faith. That's the same concept of, as fullness. Or when he says in, in Colossians that we labor unto this end to present every man mature in Christ. It's the same concept, okay? Or when he says in Romans, he says, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same idea. He's talking about an inner transformation, an inner growth, an inner awakening of sorts, where on the inside, the completeness of God is activated and operating in you. It's fullness. It's fullness. And here's my point to us, there's always more for us. When you come to that place as a believer and you kind of think, well, I got it down, I kind of got the main points, I'm kind of there. You're not there, I guarantee it. You're not there. There's more. There's always more. It's an interesting idea. It's called fullness or completeness, and I'm telling you, there's always more. My point would be this, don't ever get to the place where you go, I am complete. If you think you are, you aren't. There's the twist. As soon as you think you got it, I guarantee you don't. So there's this place that God describes as the fullness of God, being filled with the fullness of God, or being complete in Christ. He even uses this terminology, perfect. Pressing on to perfection. And he's talking about the inner reality. Now, let me give you a little bit of an overview just on how this prayer gives us a progression into this idea of fullness. I want to just sort of break it down to you a little bit more technically so that you can understand what Paul is doing here. If you've got that, do you guys, did you guys get that part, the notes back there, Greg? Yes, awesome. Oh, there we go, perfect. So there's a threefold progression he's going to take us through. He's going to t- talk about the strengthening of our inner man. Then he's going to talk about uh, the revelation and comprehension of love. 
And those two working together under this concept of fullness. And here's how it goes. He says, I want to pray for you. And I'm praying according to the riches of his glory. Whenever you see that phrase, just take notice. Because that phrase shows up a handful of times in the New Testament. And it's a good one. And whatever's coming after it is really good. The riches of his glory, it means the wealth of the depths of God. The wealth of the depths of God. He goes, I'm praying that according to all the riches, all the wealth in the depths of the being of God, that from that, that uh, overwhelming treasury, that treasure trove of God's glory, that something would happen to you, that from there, something in there would happen to you. That's what he's praying. He goes, so according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with might by the Spirit in your inner man. So that's part one. He goes, I'm praying that there would be a strengthening. That word is a fortifying and an invigorating. A life-giving strength that comes to you and bears you up on the inside. That there would be a strengthening of you with might. That word is the same word as you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, dunamis. He goes, I'm praying that on the inside of you, there would be an invigorating and a fortifying with the power of God and your inner man from the wealth of the depths of the riches of our God by the Holy Spirit's activity on your life. Man, I want that. (laughs) You know, this deal... It's like sort of teach me like four things how to act better. I don't care about that. I want the invigoration with might on on the inside of me with real power working inside of me. There's a transforming reality happening to me on the inside. I want that deal. Guess what? Because if that happens to me, it'll change how I act. See, here's our problem, gang. We have taught Christian morality without teaching transformation on the inside. And so what we try to do is we try to get people to brush up how they act without them being invigorated with the life-giving power of God on the inside. Because if you get invigorated with power inside, it will change your decision-making capacity. It will change the way you perceive the way you choose what you desire it will all transform now here's a here's a detail i need to i need to point out to you paul is praying for a strengthening with might in the inner man and that christ would dwell in their hearts by faith okay this is not a trick question who is he talking to the church believers right Okay, these are believers. So if they're believers, that means they have the Holy Spirit inside their spirit. Isn't that right? 
Yep. So when we got saved, the Holy Spirit came inside our spirit. It's called the new birth or the new creation. Our spirit, which was dead because of sin, becomes alive because the Holy Spirit coming and taking residency inside of our spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living inside our spirit right now. Isn't that right? And by virtue of that, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, correct? And that right there, that thought is pretty intense. I mean, Paul in Colossians 1, he calls it the mystery, according to the riches of his glory, the mystery that's been hidden but now has been revealed, Christ in you. Christ in you. Jesus said, he goes, I, my Father and I will come and make our abode in you. That was a shock for the disciples to hear that. We kind of keep that, in, it's sort of trite to us. We kind of get it. Yeah, Jesus lives on the inside. No, 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 no. When he's unpacking the truth that God is now coming inside of people, that is a colossal thought. And that's what Paul says. He goes, it was this mystery that was hidden from the ages. They couldn't see this idea. But the truth of the matter is God always wanted to dwell, not next to, within his people. God wants to dwell within his people. Next to wasn't close enough. Holy Spirit upon wasn't close enough. He's always after intimacy. Remember, he's always after intimacy. So instead of just being beside you, he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to actually create them with a capacity to actually hold me within them. Their spirit can hold me within them. He made us (laughs) spirit, soul, and body with the capacity to house God on the inside. Because next to us wasn't enough. Think about that now. Next to us wasn't enough. He said, I've got to be closer than that. I want to be within them. And so that's the idea. That's the reality. When you get born again... The Holy Spirit comes and lives in your spirit. Your spirit man comes alive. Paul called that the new creation. There's a new birth that happens. You're born again. Your spirit is alive. That's what happens to believers, right? Well, here he is in Ephesians, and he's talking to believers, and he's praying for them. What? That might, they would be strengthened with might, in their inner man, and that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, and and for years as I looked at that passage, I thought, does Paul, did he forget? Like, did he forget that the Holy Spirit's already in there? Did he forget that Jesus is already dwelling in our heart? Like, what's he, is he just being redundant? Is he being sloppy with his theology? Of course not. It's not being redundant, not being sloppy with his theology. He's not, he's being actually very precise. It just has to do with our understanding. And here's the point. If you have Holy Spirit on the inside of you and the Father and Jesus have made their abode within you in your spirit, can you make that any stronger? Can your spirit get any stronger than God in there? Does God get any stronger than God? He can't like work out and make himself like more God. No, he's strong as he's going to be and he's inside of you already. 
in your spirit. But what's Paul praying for? A strengthening with might. Too often we imagine that he's talking about our spirits being strengthened, but they can't be strengthened because God's already in there. Or we think that he's asking for Christ to dwell in our spirits, but that he's already in there. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the power of God by the Holy Spirit residing in the soul of a believer. You are spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is that place on the inside of you. That's the real you. That's the place that has the capacity to hold God. Your soul is what consists of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's where your desires and your choices are all born out of in the soul. And, of course, you live in a body. You are not your body, thank God. You're a spirit, and you have a soul, and you happen to live in an earthly tent for now. In a minute, it's going to get filled with glory. It's going to be awesome. But the soul is where the activity is that he's praying for. The soul, beloved, that's where the fight is. The soul is where the action that he's asking for, that's where he wants that action to take place. You know, Missy Edwards has this song. She says, life takes place behind the face. She's talking about in the soul, in in that uh, that place where you make decisions and choices and, and where your desires are born and and where you perceive and you think and you feel your soul, she's talking about that's the arena of where life actually happens. And what Paul is saying is this. He goes, I'm wanting your soul to get invigorated and fortified with the power of God that you would be strengthened with might in your soul. So all your decisions, all your choices, all your desires, all your perceptions, all your emotions would be filled with the very power of God. There'd be a strengthening with might on the inside of you so that when the sway of the enemy comes against you, you are fortified on the inside and you don't bend and bow with the sway of the world. That there's might in your soul and you're able to discern truth because it's residing in your mind and you're able to choose, even against the pressures of the enemy, you're able to choose righteousness. Hallelujah. He goes, strengthened with might in your inner man. I want your soul to be lit. That's what he's saying. I want you to get so lit up in your soul that even when no one's looking, even when no one would find out that there is an anchor, there's a plumb line, a rod of righteousness on the inside of you that in might, in the very might of God, you'd stand against all the wiles of the enemy. That internal life, the internal life is is full of of power. You strengthen with might by his spirit in your inner man. That's That's phase one. Phase two, Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. See... Phase one is a sprinkling of power. Phase two is possession with the divine personality. (laughs) 
the divine personality residing in your soul in such a way that all of your capacities to think, feel, and make decisions are not just you and now you're fighting. It's you and Jesus making it together. I believe Galatians 2.20 is the exact same concept as Ephesians 3.17. When he says... I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives inside of me. But the life that I live on in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's talking about this dynamic of full partnership on the inside of you. Because when you read Galatians 2.20, he goes, okay, I've been crucified, but I live. And he goes, yet not I, but Jesus, but the life I live. I go, Paul, who's in there? Is it you or Jesus? He goes, "Uh uh-huh. I go, well, who's doing the living, you or Jesus? He goes, yep. I go, well, which one? He goes, yes. He goes, it's me and Jesus in full partnership in my soul. See, beloved, we pray prayers. Lord, take all of me, have all of me. We sing songs like that, have all of me. But have you thought about what it really looks like? It really looks like all those capacities of your soul being fully yoked to Jesus and in full partnership with Jesus, filled with the power of God. But in intimacy, your soul and all your decisions are walking out what it looks like to hold his hand in everything. To actually walk through life with the divine personality possessing your soul. It doesn't mean you go away. No, you are uniquely you. There's a unique way that you love God. There's a unique way that you talk to God, that you approach God. There's a unique piece of you that's you, and it touches God and a piece of him that no one else can match. It's not you becoming a robot. It's you in full partnership inside of your heart with Jesus. That you're not fighting him every time, every step of the way. It's you and Jesus. Lord, what are we doing today? What are we thinking about today, Jesus? What's on your mind? And he goes, what's on your mind? And what happens is the inner conversation becomes mostly you and the Lord. Christ dwelling in your soul. Christ possessing you on the inside. Possessing that the best word because we think of demon possession and just owning. But with Jesus, it's partnering. It's always partnering. But Christ in ascendancy above all the carnal desires of the soul and flesh. Christ in ascendancy on the inside. Strengthened with might unto Jesus having full ascendancy in your soul. Oh, beloved. If you want to be free, Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, I'm convinced that becomes the best you that, has ever, that there could ever be. Christ dwelling on the inside, in your soul, that the divine personality fully whelming your soul is the best you that could possibly be. I think about God and how he designed us to engage with him 
And it just continues to move me how close he wanted to be. He didn't want just the, the new birth on the inside in the spirit. He actually wanted all of our capacities of feeling, all of our capacities of emotion, all of our capacities of decision to be completely yoked with him. Our, our entire emotional makeup fully yoked with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. And this is, I think, really where the rubber meets the road. And this is probably our chief problem in the church. This is probably, if I think, if I step back from it and I look at it, I think this may be our chief problem. And it's this. We have a bunch of people with born-again spirits with unrenewed, untransformed souls. We have a bunch of people with God on the inside in their spirit, yet their mind is unrenewed and carnal, and there's not might in their inner man, and definitely the divine personality hasn't taken possession of their soul. And so what we tend to have is a born-again people who know the language and maybe have a hundred verses that they can spout, but they live unrenewed and carnal and untransformed, and they make decisions that just make you go, what is the deal? Like, is that guy even saved or what? Well, he probably actually is born again, but his mind is unrenewed and he's operating in those carnal capacities. He doesn't have might in his inner man and therefore he is bowing to the lust of the flesh and in his carnal mind, he is, he is distant from the life of God on the inside. And here's what we tend to do. We tend to emphasize the power of the Spirit upon the guy to set him free, but the Bible emphasizes the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside to renew him and transform him. Now look, I am all for the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon people. That's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about. He said the Holy Spirit will come upon you not many days from now. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's a power encounter. It's dynamic. And it's interesting the way that our frame is set up. I mean, it's, you, you know, we, we think about putting something upon something, and we think about permeable surfaces. You know, like if I put this, if I put, oh, whoa, that's open. Hallelujah. Let's try something else. If I put water upon here, the water is now up here. <laughs> it truly is. So... But the water's not down here. It's not, you know, within it. But we're not made that way. When he puts power upon us, it goes all the way through us. We're not impermeable. We're permeable. We're way more like a washcloth than we are like a plastic container. You know, you get, you get power upon you and you, you feel it all the way. It goes all the way down into the soul, all the way into your spirit. But that power upon reality that isn't the emphasis of transformation. It's the moment of deliverance many times, but the emphasis of transformation in the scripture is the renewing of the mind, the transforming of the soul, the might in the inner man, Christ dwelling in the heart through faith, crucified with Christ, putting on Christ. Those phrases that all point to this truth that the inner man now has life and is whelmed with the life of God. And what we tend to do, especially charismatics, is we tend to emphasize the power upon far more than we emphasize the power within. But Paul said, 
We labor unto this end to present every man perfect in Christ, Colossians 1, 26, according to the power within us. And there in Ephesians, he says that uh, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power within us. And what he's talking about is this, the dynamics of a people who are filled with the fullness and then from that place manifesting the power of the kingdom everywhere they go. And what our challenge is, is this, that we have born-again spirits, unrenewed minds, and we're primarily looking for power upon to do something dramatic, but he's asking for might in the inner man, and here's why you need might in the inner man, because if you don't have might in the inner man, if power does come upon the city, you will wilt on the inside. If you want a big negative body count, look at historic revivals where there was no might on the inside, but there was power upon, and that thing only stays for a short season, and after that, many, many fall away. I'm telling you, the critical need for the church right now is might in the inside, might in the inner man, so that we can be sustained when power comes upon so that the sway of the world doesn't move us and all of a sudden we, we capsize and flip our faith, but we are, we, are, we are fortified on the inside with glory. Oh man, this is Christian maturity. Christian maturity isn't about knowing the list of do's and don'ts and making sure your morality is just perfect. Christian maturity is about might fortifying your soul and when might fortifies your soul, your morality will pan out, I promise. It's really how it works. So that's the, that's the, that's the first phase, that, that inner transformation, the might in the inner man, Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith. And then the second phase is an, a love issue. So we have the rich inner life and these, these two kind of phases of love dwelling in the heart. That you'd be rooted and grounded in love unto comprehending the height, the width, the depth, the length, and knowing the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded is simply this. You're anchored and you're built from love. You're anchored in love and everything you do comes from love. Okay? What I think I've seen a lot, especially in my younger life when uh, you know, I would get these, these desires to be holy and fiery holiness. And I would find, man, my, I've got my morality landed, but I lacked that inner reality of love. And when you, when you have an external morality and you lack an inner reality of love with an external morality, you will be self-righteous. Self-righteous legalism is born out of an external morality that lacks a rich inner life and lacks a rooting and grounding in love. This is it right here. This is the deal. Rooted means you're anchored to love. What it means is this, that no matter what the activity of God is, you know it's love. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm anchored to love, man. 
I mean, all hell is breaking loose. Everything's going crazy, but you love me, and this is supposed to be helping, so I believe you. (laughs) You ever been there? It's all blowing up, and you go, I'm pretty sure you still love me, right? He goes, I do, and you go, but nothing says it. He goes, that's okay, and you're going, ah, life is blowing apart, but you do love me. You do. I know it. You're working out all things for good for me. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose, you love me. I'm anchored to love. And I, here's what you got to do. It's when, when the stuff is blowing up, you choose to believe. I choose to believe you love me. I don't necessarily understand this mess, but you love me. And then from there, your responses grounded in love. Rooted, you're anchored to, grounded, you're built from. Your responses all come out of that revelation of love. Anchored, rooted and grounded, anchored and founded on love. Did you ever see um, any of those like really cool like cooking shows? You know that you know you got down into that long fast and you started all you could watch was like food TV. You know what I'm talking about? And you're watching it, and they got like the Master Chef on there, and that Master Chef, and, and they're making all these things, and they got all these ingredients going on, like 87 million ingredients. And, and all the cooks know that it took them like three hours to prepare that, but they like did it in like 30 seconds on the show, and you're like, it just, if it were that easy. And then the cleanup, you never get to see the cleanup. But anyway, so there's a million ingredients out there, and they're putting a the whole thing together, and, and, uh, and then they go, and this right here, this root, this comes from the outback of Australia. Only, only one million, you know, there's only a, a millionth of these available, and we got the one millionth portion right here. And, 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 you know, it's just like the rarest thing. But we put that ingredient in here, and, whoo, man, these are the best tasting fried chicken nuggets you've ever had, whatever. And so he makes the concoction, and he puts the special ingredient in, and they're all going, oh, my goodness, what's that flavor? Because it's the root out of there. It's that, that special ingredient. See, God's the master chef. He's the master chef. He knows all the ingredients to put into your life, to get out that perfect flavor of love. Every time. We question. We go, what are you doing? What are you doing? you got to be rooted in love. So that you know that what he's doing is he's working in you. His pleasure to bring you to perfection in love. He's a master chef and he knows the ingredients to put in the, to put in the stew. To make it the best love reality there is. So there's that first phase, rooted and grounded in love, and then there's that second phase, and it's the comprehension of love in every dimension. The experiential comprehension of love in four dimensions. Notice you live in three dimensions. He talks about four dimensions. There is the spiritual dimension. There is love that passes this realm is the idea, but it's the experiential comprehension of love. Now, I love this phrase, that you may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. I'm like, what, are you just playing with us now, or what? He goes, I want you to know something that you can't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, you, know, you just go like, so what are you doing to us? He goes, I want you to know love that's beyond knowing. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't know any of it. God is infinite. Isn't that correct? 
His love is infinite. Isn't that correct? That means this, that you could have a 100 billion year experiential education in love. A hundred billion years of an experiential education in the love of God for you. And you could be a hundred billion years more mature in your understanding and experience of love, yet not one step closer to the end of love. Because it's infinite. 200 billion years into the fiery passions of love and experience and understanding and you're not one step closer to exhausting the knowledge of God's love. That you may know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. These are the components of fullness. A rich inner life whelmed with the power of God in your soul unto the possession of your soul by the divine personality, Christ, dwelling in your hearts through faith and coming to an experiential knowledge of love in all the dimensions of it. Not the beginning level, but a depth of knowing the love of Christ which passes knowledge those, those are the two kind of pillars that bring you into what he calls filled with the fullness of God. Beloved, that is the target. That's what we need to be going after. Filled with the fullness of God is the trajectory that Paul prayed that the church would be on. This right here, it gives me so much vision for, for my time with the Lord. Because I'm not just trying to get a little word to sort of just get me by today. I'm trying to undergo the process of the transformation of my inner man. I need my inner man transformed. I need my mind renewed. I need my soul apprehended by God. I need love to root me, to ground me. I need to experience it in every dimension so that I'm completely reduced to love and I'm operating from my soul in every capacity in complete partnership with Jesus. That's filled with the fullness. That's where he wants to take us. That our hearts, the inside, would be so alive in God. And then we get these two dramatic outcomes. The first one is that God does exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. See, that little phrase, I don't believe that that's just a little tease. What I believe that phrase is, is the outcome of a church that's, that's uh, operating in the fullness of God on the inside of them, and then their prayer life, what that looks like. I believe that him doing exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think is a product of a people who are flowing in the fullness of God on the inside. It's fullness on the inside to massive transformation on the outside. Do you see that? 
And our problem is we hop over the internal transformation and we just want the external transformation and we're asking for the cart before the horse. He wants to transform societies. But can you imagine, what if the church, what if thousands of believers in our city were filled with the fullness of God in the way that I'm describing? What would be the daily witness? Just the, what, would be the, what would just be the daily prayer life of that group? What would be the daily evangelistic life of that group? The daily service life. What would be the daily love life of thousands of believers filled with the fullness? There would be exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think popping all over the place. It's the spontaneous activity of heaven manifesting in and among a people who are fully given over to God. Do you see why I'm saying fullness needs to be our vision? It needs to be our vision. Where are you going? I'm going toward fullness. I'm going to this place of being reduced to love and being fully apprehended by Christ in my soul. That's where I'm going. And then the final outcome is this, and I'm ending here. He said, now to him, now to the Father, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. See, the second amazing outcome is that the Father receives the glory due him through Jesus, through the church. See, beloved, there's something really wrong with when the church's expression of Christ brings shame to the Father. Not that he's ashamed of us, but it shames the name of Jesus. Shames the name of God. There's something really wrong. Why? Because the church is to be the mechanism by which he receives glory. Glory from who? glory from everyone around. It's this dynamic that when the unsaved guy sees the way that Jesus is blooming through the lives of believers, he goes, God is real. That's just God. This thing is real. Glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Jesus' activity in the lives of believers that gives the Father glory. That's where this thing is going. Beloved, I believe the bride is going to fullness in this age. I believe it. I believe we are going to see a bride operating in fullness, reduced to love, possessed by the Holy Spirit in her soul, manifesting the powers of the age to come, exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, unto this Jesus giving the Father his full glory through our lives. I believe that. I don't believe it's just a prayer. I believe it's a prophecy. This is where we're going. And so that's why I'm encouraging us to incorporate this into our vision. Don't have your vision be to just get by tomorrow or just get through the week. Have your vision be to come to the, the completeness that God has dreamed for you 
in this life. And we're going to go through this. I'm probably going to repeat some of this in the days to come. I know that's quite a bit. But we're going to talk about how these transformations take place in our soul. We're going to talk about the reality of the indwelling Christ and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit from within our spirit into our soul. The power of the word to transform the mind and the power of righteous actions to transform the mind and the soul. These things all go into it. They all play into it. One of the major things I just, when I saw it, it just struck me. James, let patience have its perfect work that you could be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. The activity of patience working in the soul of a believer, bringing them to fullness. There are so many dynamics to this. Amen.